2: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in Orange County at a hospital that's believed to be the first on the West Coast to experiment with a way to help patients hit hard by COVID-19. They've successfully transferred plasma from the blood of someone who's recovered from the illness to someone who still has it. KPCC's Alyssa Jong-Perry explains. Jason Garcia recently recovered from a mild case of COVID-19. A friend alerted him on Facebook that St. Joseph Hospital in Orange County was looking for someone like him to donate plasma. The hope is that the antibodies from his donated plasma can attack the virus in a seriously sick patient. One plasma donation can be transferred up to three patients. So this week, Garcia made the drive from San Diego to Orange County. Garcia's plasma was transferred to an intubated patient right away.
3: And I'm glad that me coming down with This illness turned into me being able to save others.
2: Doctors don't know if it will work yet. Only a handful of hospitals in the U.S. have tried it. But transferring blood plasma isn't a new concept. It's been used to treat patients in other disease outbreaks, including the 1918 Spanish flu. For the California Report, I'm Melissa Jung Perry in Los Angeles. This week, the economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic hit home for many Californians. Nearly 2 million have filed for unemployment benefits over the last three weeks. The state has taken in an average of 111,000 claims a day over the last week. A lot of those workers are employed by small businesses, which starting today can apply for tax relief for the year ahead as they struggle to hang on. KQED politics reporter Katie Orr has that story.
1: Small businesses will have an extra year to pay up to $50,000 in sales taxes to the state. Governor Gavin Newsom made the announcement at his daily coronavirus briefing on Thursday. The extension applies to businesses with less than $5 million in taxable sales. Newsom says nearly half of all private sector workers in California are employed by small businesses.
0: People that make a go of it, put everything on the line, take risks in ways large and small. So often we take them for granted, even in the best of times. Right now, uh, they have been devastated.
1: Newsom says the state will also allocate $50 million for loans to businesses that don't qualify for federal help. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
2: Well, there's seemingly no aspect of our daily lives that the coronavirus hasn't touched in some way, including getting from point A to point B. Public transportation agencies in the state hope to get some help from the $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus package passed by Congress last week. It budgets $25 billion to support local mass transit systems across the country. In Los Angeles, the California report's Saul Gonzalez tells us how the pandemic is hitting our state's public transportation systems.
0: I'm at a nearly empty light rail station in LA that would normally be packed with people this time of day. Because of the pandemic and shelter-in-place orders, California's transit agencies like LA Metro and BART have reported huge drops in ridership, upwards of 90%. In response, the agencies reduced frequency of service and cut operating hours for the few remaining passengers. The pandemic is also wreaking havoc with the budgets of mass transit agencies in two ways. Of course, fewer riders means less revenue from ticket sales but a lot of public transportation funding also comes from local sales taxes. With fewer purchases being made that means less money going to the agencies to fund both current operations and the construction of new mass transit lines. LA Metro says it could lose up to $750 million in expected sales tax revenue by the end of this fiscal year. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles.
2: One of the most remarkable images I've seen since the COVID-19 pandemic began is downtown Los Angeles virtually smog-free. I've been wondering, is all this staying home and not commuting giving humanity a leg up on climate change? So I called up Steve Weissman, a former state energy regulator who now lectures at UC Berkeley's Goldman School of Public Policy. He's been looking at data on how much electricity we're using while we're quarantined. And he found... Overall energy use was uh, was down by about 7%. This means that during the so-called afternoon peak, the state doesn't have to rely as much as it usually does on the dirtiest power plants to cover demand for electricity. Uh, And those dirtier plants, those are the ones that you save for those peak periods. You don't want to run them a lot during the day because they'd really pollute the air. So you save them for just those few hours uh, when usage is extremely high. Uh, And so by having a lower peak, that means you're using less of these dirtiest power plants and that can help clean up the air. But what about when this is all finally over? Will energy use return with a vengeance? It's a mixed bag, says Weissman. Some energy-sucking events like conferences and live sports aren't ever going to be rescheduled. Others will. And there are also a lot of businesses offline now. Some will go into overdrive to make up for lost time, and others won't. Here's Weissman's prediction on how this will all net out when the pandemic fades. I think there will be a, a big bump in energy use after we get out of this thing, but it'll never make up for all the energy that we're saving. Thanks to Steve Weissman for crunching the numbers for us. Well, here in the Bay Area, the coronavirus pandemic is hitting hospitals hyper-locally. Medical centers in Santa Clara County are treating the brunt of serious cases. 32 people have died there so far. Other hospitals are eerily quiet. Douglas Frey is an emergency room nurse at Highland Hospital in Oakland. He recorded himself during a shift this week.
4: It's another really slow day here, and I've heard more than one staff use the metaphor of a tidal wave. Somebody said, I wish it would just start already. The anticipation and anxiety is there and very palpable, and as emergency nurses, we don't tend to do real well when it's slow and quiet. Using the metaphor of a tidal wave, it feels still that we're at that same beach, and The water is gone out as far as we can see and there's way more beach than has ever been exposed and it feels like we're the lifeguards left at the beach while everyone able-bodied is running for the hills and the high ground and we know from where this has hit there are going to be a lot of people who don't make it and, and are washing around when the waters come and we're going to be here ready for them as best we can. We've checked our equipment, we've done all our checklists, we've ran through scenarios and we're ready to work with what we have. I think pretty soon we'd gladly trade what we're facing for just having anticipation and anxiety once again. But um, for today, it's a slow, quiet day.
2: Douglas's story was produced by KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg. Today, a lot of college students around the state wrap up their first week of doing school online. UCLA senior Noor Buzidi is one of those students. At this point, it's all but certain she'll graduate before the campus reopens. We spoke earlier about how it's going so far.
3: So it's kind of been uh, up and down, honestly. So. My professors are kind of dealing the best that they can with this adjustment. They had a very little time to sort of prepare. I'm taking two classes that are lecture-based, so those are not, you know, affected as much. But my Arabic class is, obviously, it's a language class. It's super interactive, so it's kind of difficult to navigate doing all the activities that we typically do in, in person while we're all completely All over the world, pretty much. Some of my classmates are living in in Prague and like in middle America. So we're all kind of tuning in at completely different times.
2: Wow. So how does that affect the learning experience in a class like that, where, as you say, it usually is quite interactive when you're learning a language? So we've had to cut some of our workload, actually. Um, The professor decided that some
3: things would just be impossible to do um, in an online class structure. So I'm kind of concerned about how that's going to be affecting my acquisition of Arabic because obviously this is my last quarter. So, you know, I think that's definitely going to be an issue.
2: I'm also a UCLA grad and, you know, your senior year, it's it's really special. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, on a personal note, how does it feel to know that you're going to be doing it remotely and graduation plans are in question, all of that? How, how are you managing that?
3: We were all feeling pretty antsy to graduate, however, it still feels like something's kind of been taken from us. We kind of missed out. Going into my last quarter, I was looking forward to obviously the reward of graduation and also the responsibility of like finishing up the last, you know, frontier of my undergrad. So having none of that be available in the way that I thought it was going to be. Graduation's up in the air, my classes are all over the place with the online format. So I think that it's Honestly, it's just, it broke our hearts.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. I mean,
3: obviously it's necessary.
2: (laughs) What do you miss most about being on campus?
3: Probably just uh, running into my friends between classes, getting to just go to the library and go to my favorite corner of the YRL library. Being in that setting uh, makes it feel really special and it makes me feel like this is a, I don't know, a unique time in my life. So not being able to do that is... Aww. It makes me pretty sad.
2: Well, Noor, listen, thank you so much for spending some time with us and we wish you all the best on your senior year as you wrap it up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was UCLA senior Noor Buzidi. And that's the California Report for this Friday, April 3rd, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with additional engineering from Jim Bennett and Rob Spate. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Alice Wolfley, and Raquel Maria Dillon. Our editor is Angela Corral. Our managing editor is Vinny Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening, and have a great weekend.
1: Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare for the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. The James Irvine Foundation, honoring the recipients of the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards. Learn more at irvine.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems.
2: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and
1: more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
3: Right now you can get the Bay Curious ebook for one ninety nine. That's right, a dollar and ninety nine cents. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading.